Hi Potties, producer Jay Neild here and welcome to the first of three episodes that we'll be bringing you in the next couple of weeks, recorded live at our Christmas podcast event on Tuesday the 10th of December to a packed house at Bell's Hotel in South Melbourne. Here's Carol and Corrie. Corrie Perkin, my dear friend and I, have been doing this now for over two years, Corrie. We can it really uh, be that long? Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming. Lots of potties from bush territories and round the corner, and it's great to see you. And a couple of people like Mike Shin and Brendan Donner, who have been on before. Thank you, everybody, for coming. It's really great to see you. This is, um, yeah, lots of family and friends here today. Thank you very much. This is episode 112 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And tonight, Corrie, thanks to Bell's Hotel... Crop Media, Yay, Bells. our wonderful producer Jane Neild, Sam Thompson, Tara from Ballpark Entertainment, we are going to count our blessings. And I just thought I'd quickly recap the year, um, because it's been a, a year of mainly highs and not too many lows, but there we were over the Scrabble board in January, plotting our um, travels. Mm-hmm. Come February, my first challenge of the year, FebFast, probably my only successful challenge of the year, in fact. <laughs> March, you saw your second child down the aisle at one of the most beautiful country weddings I've ever I been did. to. And at a little daughter-in-law, Liv, is here today. In April, <laughs> in April, we launched the Miracle Mums Appeal for the we Royal did. Women's Hospital and raised many thousands of dollars. Oh, thank you to all you. I'm not quite sure what we did in May, but in June, we fulfilled our promise to trek the Cornish coast, which we did with our dear friend Anna from the op shop, who you will be hearing from a bit later, and our other friend Trudy. In June, we went to Hamilton and spoke at the Napier Club, and um, I think we were a pretty big hit there. (laughs) What do you reckon, Jen? I didn't say that. Okay, I just want that to be known. I'm now now a member of the Napier Club, In August, um, things started to get pretty interesting Mm footy-wise for my club, Richmond, and uh, we'll hear a bit more about that from our special guests in a moment. And in September, we recorded our 100th episode, which was a fabulous night at your shop. You also completed, I think, your most successful challenge of the year when you walked the architectural paths (laughs) of Melbourne. I did. Look, it was really good, actually. I know it sounds boring, but I think there's a business opportunity there. So if anybody would like to join up, corrieswalkingtours.com.au, we're happy to have you on board. And I apologise for being slightly hungover the day after the Brownlow, that I didn't really listen and pay any attention to that challenge. I'm sorry about that. You no, never listen anyway. No, no, just, can I just say, this sunlight is so good for one's complexion. Um, and, and Bloody the, hell, I hope I've had all the moustache and everything taken off. <laughs> One of, one of our favourite guests, my husband Brendan's here tonight. In November we said goodbye to his beautiful mother Moira. Yeah, we did. So that was a very sad time, but um, in a way a lovely family celebration, even though it was very sad. And in December... Here, here we, we are. are to, ...to celebrate. We um, have... Guys, there's a Lucky Door prize competition. We're going to be giving away soon. Do you all have your tickets? Have Just you all make got sure your tickets. you have. We and want... if you don't have it, we're not drawing it now, don't stress. No, 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 no. We're going to be drawing it at half time. But we just want to thank. But if you don't have one, Tara up the back has one, so please make sure that you're all in the draw. We, we, it's, it's not embarrassing, we just get you to come up here and sing Silent Night on your own, but that's okay. 
So there are four very special sponsors, Select Harvests, who've given us two wonderful hampers, and welcome to Roe Thompson, wife of Paul Thompson, who's made it here from the media room of the President's Cup here tonight. Cobram Estate, Mr Cobram. Where are you? Is Di here tonight? Mr Cobram. Yay! Mrs Cobram's here. <laughs> Di, we'd like to thank you for putting the pressure on your lovely husband, Matt, and saying if you don't support this cause, I'm going to not talk to you. And that lemony summer salad with that Mr Cobram lemon olive oil is just brilliant. Humphrey Law socks, beautiful Australian-made socks. The olive oils, of course, for Mr Cobram include their new product, olive leaf tea packs and Hardy Grant Books. We're also going to be naming our books of the year, myself, Corrie, my mum, Julia, and Anna, and Corrie's got a special offer there. But um, Can I, I think... just, on a serious note, though, I know yeah. bring it down a peg or two to the serious... Tonight, um, as, as a part of your ticket, I know um, that you've all paid tonight to come, and we are extremely grateful that you have, and part of uh, your ticket fee tonight is going toward the Salvation Army. Caro and I thought long and hard about who did we most want to give um, our gifts to that we're all contributing to. And in fact, she and I have signed up and given away the family fortunes as well. But we just thought of our friends in the country, not just farmers, but also in rural towns, retailers, you know, everybody who's connected to the drought and is suffering from it, particularly in New South Wales. So the Salvos have a program where they actually very quietly infiltrate the community and particularly placing the emphasis on keeping the humanity and the discretion on board. They'll do things like pay the electricity bill for a farmer in crisis or pick up their feed bill. Or if the kids need new clothes for school, the Salvos will quietly just write the cheque. Um, all of their funding, of course, for their administration is covered by, you know, big end of town. So all of this money that we raise tonight will go toward that terrific appeal. If you'd like to give some more, we would love that. Um, and if you are listening to the podcast tonight uh, from wherever you are in Australia, just go onto our Facebook page or our show notes and there's just like click and give. It's that easy. But thank you all so much for coming tonight to be a part of that. Now, Corrie... A lot of wonderful things happened in the world of AFL this year and a lot of controversial things. We saw a player inexplicably climb a goalpost, something I never thought I'd see. We saw a premiership hero quit the game, walk away from the game in many millions of dollars due to mental health issues. We saw a favourite son try but fail to leave his football club and we saw a young man from Western Australia drafted mid-season, become the first footballer in 67 years to play in a grand final and, in fact, a premiership team. Capturing it all was a man who became embedded in the Richmond Football Club back in 2016. He was doing such a good job and Richmond was doing such a bad job that Simon Matthews, who's here tonight, banned him from writing the book he wanted to write. But Conrad Marshall did a deal. And he said, if, we, if you finish in the top four or top two in 2017... I'm doing that book. The rest is history, and in 2019, they let him back into the club. And tonight, stronger and bolder is that result. Conrad, come up on stage, please. Hi, Conrad. Conrad's just flown in from Sydney, where it's, it's terrible smoke haze, and they weren't letting the planes out, so we're very pleased that you're here. This is Conrad's book. Just a quick plug. The book is on sale tonight. Coco will be... Uh, here to do the, you know, machine work or cash if you've got it. But Conrad and our next guest are available for signing this book. So it's a really good one. 
not for people like me who don't like Richmond, but um, <laughs> for everybody else who barracks for Richmond, this is the one for you. Very lonely out there, Corrie. Um, <laughs> also back in 2016, our next guest stared down not one, but two challenges to her presidency. Matthew Lloyd, normally level-headed smart bloke who I work with on Footy Classified, asked me, but what does she bring to the table? She brought to the table two premierships, the biggest membership the AFL has ever seen and the most successful Richmond football club the AFL has ever seen. Peggy O'Neill, come on board. I hope you took in just my crack about we don't like, I don't like Richmond. I love Richmond. Mm. I know, I know that's not true, but anyway. <laughs> Any Hawthorne supporters here? Yes, good, great. Peggy, what do you, um, what did you bring to the table? Or what do you bring to the table? I hope you answered, answer it better than I did back in 2016. Well, I think um, all you can bring to the table is yourself and uh, whoever you are, and it just happened to be... Um, you, you don't really think about what that is until somebody asks you a question like that. And uh, you start to think, well, what did you bring that might have been different or might have um, influenced others? And um, I thought, I'm, I'm pretty level-headed. I don't get angry. Uh, I think governance is important. I think governance is a big part of culture because they both speak to how we do things around here. And I think if you let those sort of basic hygiene things slip... Uh, it says that um, you're not serious about advancing because once you get that stuff right, you can be innovative, you can move on, you can do all sorts of things. So um, I thought I brought a different perspective, a, a, a true outsider. Nobody knew who I was, which is why I got a lot of those kinds of questions. Uh, but Richmond knew who I was, and they elected me, and I thought, well, I'm here to do the job as president of Richmond, not to convince or become good friends with everybody uh, who's ever played football and everybody who's a commentator. So you just bring yourself, and I set about doing a job that was important to me, and um, so I didn't worry too much about outside. I just worried about trying to get Richmond back on track with a great group of people who were committed to the same goal. Peggy, uh, for those of uh, here who are not part of the Richmond faithful, there aren't very many of them, really. But um, I wondered if you could tell You're us. You're on that again. Aren't you? <laughs> I wondered if you could tell us again uh, the lovely story of why, why Richmond, why you fell in love with the suburb and the club. Um, well, I'm uh, from the United States, and uh, I moved to uh, Richmond in 1989. Um, I met an Australian backpacker in a bar in Greece, and then <laughs> there you go. Uh, you never know what's going to happen after that. Everybody looks good in Greece in the summertime. Uh, <laughs> Is that and, the biggest sliding doors moment in uh, yeah, your entire life? That's right. Um, anyway, so I um, uh, so moved to, um, to Richmond, and um, I still live in Richmond, and so I've been there all these years. Um, and I always liked sport, and I didn't know anything about um, uh, AFL and uh, Australian rules. And uh, But Richmond was having some pretty hard times about then, and Neville Crow and the Saver Skins. And, and I thought, well, I ought to get behind my community team, whatever that is. And uh, people said, oh, you should have been here in the 70s. They were really good. And I thought, well, we'll come good again. I didn't, didn't know that uh, it would take another, take 37 years. Uh, so uh, so I, I, I just loved the neighborhood. I worked in the city. It was an easy place to live. It's quite different from what it is now. I don't think there were any cafes then. Um, and um, so I, I'm... I moved there and, and continued to make my home there. In the twin, 28 years I've 
well, I've been there for 30, but had to move away while we renovated a house. But I've lived within five-minute walk of the two houses I've lived in, so it's a really wow. um, good community and a great neighborhood. And I, it, it's quite, sort of nice to know that you don't want to live anywhere else. And as I say at the club, you know, I can walk down there and pop in any time and just see what's going on. I don't need an office. I just will survey from afar. So, Peggy, we're very, uh, we're very inspired as journalists that you allowed a journalist to infiltrate your season in 2017, which when it began, let's be honest, wasn't tracking all that well. What was it about Conrad and his pitch and his credentials and just the whole idea that kind of brought you and Damien Hardwick in particular and Brendan, I suppose, as well, Brendan Gale, on board with this? Uh, well, they didn't, they didn't ask me. Um, <laughs> no, I no, had great faith in Simon Matthews, who... Uh, and I met Conrad in 2016 when he was... Uh, I remember it was a, a pre-season game and we were playing Hawthorne and I met, I met Conrad and... Um, uh, they said, oh, he's going to be writing a book this year. And about halfway through 2016, I said, what happened to that guy, Conrad? And they said, well, we aren't going anywhere. So we told him he could just park that story. Uh, and then the next year, uh, Simon said, um, Conrad wants to, wants to have another uh, attempt at writing a book, and, but he wants to promise he can write the book no matter what happens in 2017. And um, so I took it on... Uh, you know, good judgment of Simon that this was someone, and I'd read some things that Conrad had written, and, and he's a wise man. He's married to an American. And, um, and so, um, uh, so Conrad wanted access to all areas of the club, and so we asked if he could come to a board meeting. And um, we all said yes, and there's a chapter about that. We edited out some of the names because there's some confidential things going on. Uh, but it was interesting because that chapter... Um, I was reading again the other day, and it came back to me because it was at that meeting in April of 2017 that we decided, uh, on the behest of Emmett Dunn, who had been working on this for a while, that anyone who played in a premiership should become a life member. So it was well before the 2017 premiership. We just decided that's what we were about. We were about winning premierships. And at the end of that book is a quote that you attributed to me, and I guess I said it, um, <laughs> along the lines of, because uh, someone was saying, well, will it cheapen the award? And I said, well, if we win lots of premierships so we have lots of life members, I don't think anybody's going to complain. And little did I know that we were on the cusp of um, doing just that. So, um, so, so Conrad was a, proved himself to be so trustworthy and so part of what we did that uh, in 2018, early on, I said, where's Conrad? He was here through 2017, <laughs> and he was just everywhere. And when I read um, the first book, Yellow and Black, I said, there were so many things I didn't know was going on because only Conrad flew over everything. Only Conrad knew every part of the club and what it was doing. And as I recall, you initially just wanted to write a book about a big modern football club mm. and all the moving parts and that's what 2016 was to be about. And then it became our premiership story. And how lucky are we to have it all recorded? And yeah. can, you, can you try and... Comparisons are odious, but what, were the, what was the biggest difference this year to two years ago, Conrad? Oh, I think it was just that in 2017, everything was very new. Um, all of these programs that were put in place that we've heard so much about, whether it's sort of... Um, Shane McCurry leading his uh, culture and leadership program at the club or Emma Murray um, ramping up the mindfulness program at the club or um, Ben Crow mentoring key people at the club. Those things were, were new and exciting and fresh and seemed to be 
putting results on the field, whereas this year they're all thoroughly sort of ingrained and enmeshed um, into the fibre. They're sort of knitted into the fabric of the club. So it's a really settled place. Um, they're, they're unified. They understand what they're about. So these sort of yeah, experimental things like connection and um, happiness and the idea of players... Um, just playing the game for, for the sheer fun of it, uh, they, were, they were trial and error things, I, I feel like, in 2017, and now they're just the way things are done. Do you reckon... Sorry, sorry I was going to say, do you reckon some other um, clubs actually read your first book and took serious notes? Have you been told that? I've been, t- I've been told that... Uh, well, a lot of people infer that, you know, Collingwood's approach to um, the 2018 season certainly looked like it had gleaned lessons from... Richmond, but well, as few too many lessons. Mm. Yeah, people people accuse me of having given away the the recipe to the the secret sauce. But um, as Trent Cotchin says at the end of um, this new book, uh, you can't just copy what Richmond have done. It, it has to um, be authentic. It has to come from from someplace real. It has to be your version of those things. So you can't just bring in a, a mindfulness expert for some guided uh, meditation sessions and you can't just uh, launch a program, the Triple H program at another club and expect it to land in the same way because it requires the right kind of people and the right sort of buy-in at all levels of the club, starting um, with Peggy. So Conrad's been nominated for an Australian Sports Commission award for a lot of his wonderful articles in The Good Weekend. One of them, Peggy was a lovely breakout piece from the book about Marlon Pickett. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like where were you the day... Where were you the moment you heard... Because I remember where, where mm-hmm. I was, that Marlon Pickett had been selected mm-hmm. to play in a grand final. A man who had been spent two years in the Wooroloo prison in Western Australia, um, hadn't been given a chance for six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Overlooked seven years. And um, came here with a broken finger, a, re, a re-broken finger... Didn't the day even before get a, the draft, actually. day before the draft, didn't mm-hmm. even get a reserves game. I think until mid to late August. Mm-hmm. Where were you when you found out, and what did you think? I was at the club, as it turns out. Um, it was, um, I guess, the Thursday. I'm trying to think Thursday or before the it was Thursday before the grand final, and. Um, uh, I was down to do those boring things about go through all the run sheets of all the things we would have to do, whether you win or whether you lose, and how many events there were going to be. And so I was in the boardroom with a group of people, and we were waiting for Brendan Gale to come in. Um, and Brendan does walk in, and he says, can I see you for a second? And he said, I just need a minute. They've just picked Marlon. And I said, well, I've lost my breath. I can't believe that. And Brendan was really emotional about it, and, and I was. But as usual, like in 2017, I said, come on, Brendan, buck up. You don't have to. So, <laughs> so we know that grand final Man. thing. Come on. Um, anyway. Emotional, terrified, like what are they thinking? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, no, he was uh, in that he thought it was the biggest story that he in his um, career had heard. And knowing how hard Marlon had... Um, worked to get there and even in the time that he was with us all the personal things that were going on and his children and his wife having to settle in and um and he was selected and a, a number of people have asked me about well that's a good story and i said but don't don't ever think that damien hardwick was sentimental he picked somebody to play and during the grand final i remember thinking he's never played a game with these men until today 
but it looked like he fit. I kept saying, he's, he, he has not played with him, but you wouldn't have known it when you saw how, how well he played and what he did. Um, but no, I was at the club, and it'll always sort of uh, remember that, that moment of, uh, then everything went over and his, just went into overdrive, and his, um, his manager was there, and it was like, well, now the press has found that, and we have to have a press conference. And I said, well, how will he do? And he goes, just like he does everything, he'll just stand there and do what he's required. And so he did. Um, but I, I remember on grand final day, I'm going to be as calm as Marlon. I said, I'll be as calm as Marlon. That was sort of my... I don't think I'll ever achieve that. You're going to launch us into six quick questions in a moment. Um, you might have one more. I've got one more for Conrad. Um, Brendan Gale said the challenges and the, a lot of the attacks on Peggy in 2016 were gender-related. Do you believe that to be the case? Yeah, I, I certainly do. Um, I don't think people are, uh, have been accustomed to having women in prominent leadership roles um, in the AFL. It, it's very rare in terms of CEOs or presidents, and I think people generally just sort of assume that the people who get into those roles want to um, hobnob with others, they want to go play golf, they want to have access to these different um, sort of areas of Melbourne life. And as Peggy was saying before, that's, that's not what she's there for. She's there to lead the Richmond Football Club. And what an amazing job she's done. Conrad, um, Peggy has mentioned a couple of the highlights of season 2019. From your perspective as the overview of this story, what was kind of the darkest moment, do you think? The darkest moment of the, the 2019, season. 2019, yeah. Um, in the AFL as a whole? No, for, for Richmond. For Richmond. Um, I, I think probably, and I'm sure I'll be overlooking something here, but the first thing that comes to mind um, was Alex Rance going down with a, a knee injury in round one. And I know he presented really well on the night. He sort of, um, he became the kind of standard bearer for how players should um, deal with a serious injury of that kind. He was sort of pragmatic about it and it's not a tragedy and he was smiling and embracing his teammates but I think it was incredibly hard on him and I I certainly have heard from people within the club that it was really traumatic for that playing group and for the um, the leaders there it took them some time to get over it not from just a sort of strategic point on the field what he brings there but just from an emotional perspective really Uh, and then Speaking to him for the book uh, towards the end of the season, he elaborated on that a bit. I mean, he, he won the Francis Burke Award with Jack Graham for the excellent leadership that he showed off the field in helping younger players, but it was a, it was a real grind. It was a tough year, and then just as the momentum is really with the Tigers, they're surging into the finals. They look like they have the goods. They've won nine straight. Uh, he's reaching mm-hmm. the peak of his powers again. He's cutting at full speed, jumping, changing direction. And so he has this choice to make about whether he puts up his hand and whether he can play. And ultimately, the poor guy realises that he he can't foresee what will happen on the field. And if his knee buckles in the first quarter of a major final and he leaves Richmond three men down without a a key defender, he wouldn't be able to live with himself. Well, well, out out of the tragedy, you know, as often happens with tragedy, some good things come and I'm happy to say that I just the other day bought another 20 of his new book so Alex Rant's new children's book yes. is coming out in February or March, I think. So watch yeah, out for that one. I read and, the first one to my son. Um, and just before we go to six quick questions, just wearing the bookseller hat here, um, I always think it's a really um, interesting and, and uh, 
sort of fascinating experience when a journalist enters that space of becoming a, a, a documenter of or a, a building a piece of record. Um, creating a document of record is so important and the impartiality uh, here is just so profound but there's also this huge respect and love for the club that comes through too. It's a great book not just for people who love footy but also if you're in business, if you're mentoring younger people going into business roles uh, or or any sort of leadership roles, I think this is a great book and I really congratulate you and congratulations Peggy to you and also Simon Matthews who I overlooked before when I was busy having my photograph taken with Mike Sheen. Um, but um, to you both for, for backing this, it's so important that we have these kind of books to sell and I really appreciate um, you getting behind Conrad and heaps of books to buy out here, guys, just so you know. Okay, six, six quick, quick questions. questions. Peggy, okay. is it true you and Dusty text each other before every game? <laughs> Not every game. <laughs> Expand, please. <laughs> I thought it was a one-word one answer. Um, oh, it, it's... It, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but, um, but it might have been during 2016 when things weren't going so well. And, um, and I'd say, are we going to win? And, of course, he would always say, 100%. And, um, and so I didn't think too much about it. And, and then the 2017 started, and he said... But you haven't asked me the question. You know, it became part of that. I like to have the question because I like to write the answer. And I thought, if you ever write no, I'm disappointed. <laughs> uh, so, so most most times we uh, we will. Uh, but I didn't for the grand final. Um, I Con- knew we were going to win that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Conrad, my question to you is: you you recent um, you recently wrote a terrific um, long feature story on a profile on Gillan McLaughlin. And I just wondered, did you find him a tough nut to crack? And how did you go about it? Uh, he was tough to get access to. I would say there's sort of some trepidation from him and the league because he's never opened himself up to a, a kind of a, a long-form written profile before. Uh, so there was some cajoling involved there and sending of samples of writing and just sort of, yeah, toing and froing, negotiating. But ultimately too many when he minders, said yes, Too many oh, minders in the communications the department. Doctors. I know. I would have loved to have yes, been a fly on the wall at that 40th birthday party at Birugara. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cowboys and Indians. Cowboys and Indians. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Peggy, growing up in West Virginia in yes. the 70s, maybe even late 60s, did you have a favourite American sitcom? I like Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, and I liked MASH. The, um, uh, so probably those two were the never-miss ones. We um, wanted to be Mary Tyler Moore, didn't we? <laughs> I did, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah uh, those, two, those probably were my favourites. I watched um, All in the Family, oh, the Archie yeah. Bunker and the, all that, and um, Rob Reiner, who went on to uh, movie fame. But uh, probably Mary Tyler Moore was my favourite. Um, Carol can actually, she's going to sing later the no, theme song to That was my favourite ever TV thing. <laughs> yeah. I heard you sing it. Um, Peggy, one I'd like to ask you, um, oh. going back to your, uh, your United States um, family and friends and so on, and me being slightly obsessed by the Donald, Donald Trump factor, mm. I just wondered, I, I mean, I know through my American um, husband that he has divided family and friends, and I wondered what your observation of that is. Well, my family is mostly united on that, that we don't like him. 
<laughs> but there's some cousins um, that I don't have to see very often because I live here. Uh, but I say just don't don't raise any topic about that. Uh, but also, having lived away for so long and not going back um, all that often anymore, I'm back every 18 months or so, is I don't know which of my friends have turned. So you don't know what topic to bring up because uh, they say, we think he's doing a good job. And I went, when did that happen to you? Uh, <laughs> and, and they'll also probably say, well, you... Uh, it, the external world like Barack Obama more than we liked him in America, even though he was elected. Um, so I guess it's a lot of you know, internal things and the amount of information that Americans get about their political leaders, not much of the outside world, is we don't get that. So, um, and there's so much content required and so many people talking about all of these things. But, um, uh, but no, my immediate family, we are united that um, nobody would ever dare even admit at least that they voted for him, but I don't think anybody has and well, or will. <laughs> well, well, I, I, I like to, to ask be, you a question? Well, I've got... It's down here that I have to ask Conrad in a very shallow segue. Can the Tigers do it again next year, Conrad? <laughs> <laughs> of course we can. Yeah, we've got the right culture, we've got the right leadership, we've got the return of the... Uh, the best defender of his generation. We've got Sydney Stack coming back in. He wasn't there on grand final day. We have Tom Lynch with a full preseason oh, okay, under enough, his belt. Enough. It goes on and on. Yes, you've got the goods. <laughs> Caro, my question to you is, do you think Richmond can win the 2020 Premiership? And if I had to ask you now, who would be in your top eight? Who Funny you should top? ask that, Corrie. I've prepared my top <laughs> eight. That's a I've got two changes. Yes, Richmond will win next year. I believe that they will play either West Coast or... Oh, I, I reckon West Coast they'll Come play on, in the grand final. you've been thinking about this all week. Don't okay. pretend you've been... The rest of my eight is Brisbane, Geelong, Fremantle, Collingwood and Greater Western Sydney and St Kilda. So oh, wow. the Bulldogs are out and Essendon are out for Fremantle are we, and liver? St Kilda. Are we chop liver? No, you've got a really tough draw and you won't make it again next year. I predict, I predict political infighting between Jeff Kennett and Alistair Clarkson as he tries to hold on for one more year. <laughs> no, anyway, that's my top eight. Oh, Corrie. miserable. Thanks for that. And Peggy, you have a good local tip. I understand. Oh, about where, where to eat in Richmond? Yes. Yeah. What, to, what to do in Richmond? Oh, there's so many. I now only go places where I can walk to dinner because there's so many. Oh, uh, but smug, I, Peggy. Yeah, smug. That's right. There's, there's, there's a, a, a neighbourhood one that's sort of tried and true. It's about six years old called Noir on Swan Street near Church Street. And then there's a new one in Cremorne called Frederick that has been opened by Jacques Raymond's oh, children. Of nods of approval there's, out here. There's Fred's the bar and there's Frederick the restaurant and I've tried both of them. So those are good. And Noir is run by a lovely young couple who um, moved and redid an old cafe called Flavors Lacoum from way back when. And uh, they've got, they've had one chef's hat for a long time. It's great value and great um, to have an express lunch too. So it's my favorite, Noir. Because the woman who owns it is named Ebony and she didn't want to name it after her. So her husband named it Noir instead. Uh, Peggy's recommendations will be, and maybe even my top eight. (laughs) will be on our show notes. No doubt they will. Please um, have a look at Stronger and Bolder. It's a wonderful book, not only for Richmond supporters, although I suspect the 100,000 members of the Tigers will be plus will be among those who buy it, Conrad. Thank you so much for coming down from Sydney especially and making our podcast. Thank you to Peggy O'Neill.